Reaction Network podcast. It's time! Oh, Saturday night's all right, all right, and get a little action on him. What's going on, everybody? Welcome in to the Action Network podcast, our UFC betting preview, because it's Friday and we get you set for... The card for Saturday, this week, we head to Pechanga Arena in San Diego, California. UFC fight night, Vera v. Cruz. That is the main event. Uh, We've got, well, Brendan Glasheen here, your host. We've got Action Network senior writer. He covers a lot of stuff at Action Network. Sean Zarillo, he's on top of things when it comes to UFC. And uh, former MMA fighter, MMA analyst, at Action Network, also uh, a jack-of-all-trades when it comes to our coverage at Action, Billy Ward. So we will take you uh, around this card and get you set for uh, tomorrow's fights. We will get to underdog plays the guys like. They have the fight of the night. Bruno Mearshart is the fight they want to focus on that we'll, uh, we'll discuss and pick that apart from a betting perspective. Favorite props, got the DFS contest pulled up as well, 13 fights. Uh, to construct a lineup. Billy does a good job uh, getting us ready for that. And then uh, we'll go to best bets uh, to to wrap the show. We want to start, though, with the main event. We've got uh, got a good one here between Vera and Cruz, uh, two very, very similarly built fighters. Uh, Zarillo, it, of course, you know, we don't – if you're new to the pod and we do this UFC betting preview, we don't just go to the money line and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. Who are you going to pick? We try to find ways to, to bet the fights and what could be the makes the most sense from an actionable perspective. So how are you betting the main event, Sean? Pre-fight, I think the best angles are Cruz's money line or Cruz by decision. Certainly prefer him on the money line pre-fight. On the other side of the matchup, Billy is a bit different of a take than I do, but I would prefer Marlon Vera's inside the distance odds as opposed to his money line. Billy prefers a diff- different prop. We'll get to that in a moment. The way I see this fight playing out, Marlon Vera almost always loses the first round of his fights. It's very consistent, tends to keep his volume low, doesn't really pursue his opponents aggressively, but it does lend itself to being more of a five-round style. Builds as his fights go. The more he damages his opponents, the more he picks up his pace, has a very good killer instinct. But you can almost always find a better price on Marlon Vera after round one as opposed to pre-fight. So if you want to bet Vera's money line, I would wait around, maybe even wait two rounds while Cruz has his most success before Vera eventually takes over the fight and takes over down the stretch against the older fighter. Cruz is phenomenally difficult to hit. Great footwork, very awkward angles, very difficult movement for his opponents. And I do expect him to land more volume in this fight. Vera has a little bit trouble hitting his opponents when they don't stand in front of him. Cruz is never going to stand in front of him until you chop down his lead leg, get him to slow down, slow his footwork down. So I expect Cruz's success, most of the success to come early, but I gave him very little finishing upside in this fight. Not a big hitter. Vera wears damage about as well as any fighter out there, even in his last fight against Rob Font. Font landed about triple or quadruple the strikes that Vera did, but Vera didn't even look like he got hit at the end of the fight, and he knocked down or wobbled Font on multiple occasions. So I expect Cruz to win more of the minutes, but Vera to have the more significant moments in the fight, and it may be difficult for the judges to weigh Cruz's minute winning against Vera's moment winning 
or his ability to hurt Cruz. Cruz has been knocked down, I believe, four times in his last four fights, getting older, bantamweight, former champion, but that durability is waning in his later years. So I think I think Vera can eventually put him out, but I think Cruz is more likely to win minutes, particularly early. So Vera may need to win three of the final four rounds if he wants to win a decision or may need to find a late finish. I think it's going to be on the borderline of a late finish for Vera or a decision win for Vera. So I do get Billy's angle again, just teasing it, but he'll get to it in a second. But ultimately I would pick Cheeto. I would pick Cheeto to win late by late stoppage. But from a value perspective, I think Cruz's money line or decision props pre-fight are the best pre-fight angles. I'm probably just a wait and target Vera live. Okay. And that's uh Billy understanding where Sean's coming from there. Like just the slow starts. How do you respond to that? And then how are you going to bet the fight? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think probably the sharpest bet of all of these between anything we're going to say is, is the Vera live angles. This isn't one that I particularly love the angle on before the fight. This is more of like a, if I had to bet it than something I'm excited to run and grab the ticket on. But you can get Vera by decision at plus 155, which just seems a little high to me against a fighter who is as strong defensively as Dominic Cruz is. You know, we're getting a guy who's a a very heavy favorite overall on the money line, and then we're getting plus money to not finish Dominic Cruz, who, like, is really, really hard to finish. And I think it's tricky because you see a lot with Vera. He doesn't really land one big hard shot. He just continuously hits and hits and hits and accumulates a lot of them. So that's where some of those late stoppages come into play too, where his last fight against Rob Font probably could have been stopped on a couple of different occasions down the stretch. But there's never that one moment where he just totally rocks a guy and takes him out of there. It's just a lot of heavy shots over and over and over and over. So that's what makes me a little bit scared. You know, you could certainly hedge this with like Vera round four, Vera round five bets at long odds. But yeah, you know, I see it playing out fairly similar to what Sean's saying, but that's just why I'm on the decision. I don't know if he can get him out of there at the end so much as he'll look so he'll look like such a heavy favorite in the third, fourth, fifth round. That'll be a pretty clear decision for Vera if it gets there. And then, you know, depending on the refing and depending on if he does land one big shot, which seems fairly unlikely against a defensive fighter like Cruz, that that means the decision. But I do think the live the live angles on Vera are probably the best way to play this personally. I should mention some books do offer, depending on what state you're in, a fighter to win round four, round five, or by decision. They'll combine all three of those together. I think that's the solid way to play it. Just I'm in New York where they do not offer that option. So I'm not sure what the odds are, but if you have that available, I think that's a pretty solid way to play it. Yeah, real quick too. If if you go on, at least DraftKings for sure does it. You can same game parlay, you know, any fighter's money line and over a certain amount of time. So you could go over three and a half rounds. That's probably going to be roughly even money. And that's one way to do it, too, to get a similar angle. But when I was looking this up, they didn't have the same game parlay up yet, so I couldn't give specific numbers. Points bet sometimes over offers those options as well. Fighter and over two and a half or fighter and under two and a half. It may change for the five-round fight. But, yeah, if I could bet a Vera and over two and a half, that's something I'm definitely going to look for as well. What is it about Vera, though, about the slow starts? Is that just – is that an approach thing? Is that a, is it a processing – thing to his to his style can you, can you put either of you put your finger on what what that is about there's some some fighters in general like Piotr Jan is in that same category who consistently lose round one it seems like they're trying to make their reads trying to get their timing down and then once they have that timing they just sort of amp up the pace and start pouring it on opponents so I, I Billy could maybe speak to it more than I can I'm not sure what it is specifically with Vera But for me, it's probably getting their reads, getting their timing down. And then once they feel comfortable, they start letting it go. 
Yeah, I think that's definitely a big part of it. I also think strategically, so it's just they know they're going to be in a long fight. If you're a guy like Vera who doesn't put people away with one big shot, you know you're going to have to land a bunch of punches. That's going to be a lot easier if the other guys burn more energy than you early on. And then just from a psychological standpoint, like a lot of people, they kind of need to get hit. They need to get in there and mix it up before it's really like, oh, I'm in a fight. I'm doing this. And that's something I think that you would imagine that deep into a UFC career, something that's worked out of people obviously never got to that level where I can speak to that, but I definitely had fights, especially early in my career where I wasn't really fighting until I got hit the first good time or something bad happened, or you kind of get woken up. And I don't know how much of that psychological stuff is at play with some of these longstanding veterans versus just strategy. But I think there's certainly something worth considering there where they just need, need to let a little bit of a wake up call. Moving on to Sean and Billy's favorite underdog plays, and we kind of already did this by the, the main event discussion, but it, it's another reminder to uh, look around to find ways to get an edge as it pertains to shopping the odds and all of these opportunities when you bet UFC and these uh, these these different books that give you chances to get involved in different ways. But uh of course, when we give out the favorite underdog, we're talking pre, pre-fight and what the odds look like. Zarillo, is there uh, something that jumps out at you when it comes to a dog? Yes. Yeah, so just as a caveat, Billy and I are about to give out four picks, both of our underdogs, my fight of the night pick and Billy's best bet, where each of the fighters that we give out who are underdogs could lose on the first punch. And that is that is just like what you have to accept betting some of these underdogs in MMA sometimes. You may bet the price plus 300 plus 250 knowing the first exchange, the first punch, they may just fold in half like a chair and you lose your bet in 10 seconds. And that is difficult to stomach going in and you may get trolled for picking a fighter who loses immediately, whatever. But if you understand, if you can accept that fact that you may lose your bet immediately, it makes it a bit more bit easier to stomach betting some of these fighters. And Nate Landwehr in the co-main event certainly falls into that category. He's been finished twice in round one in the UFC, going against the guy who's very, very powerful and durable in David Onama. But Landwehr has been all around the world, fought some of the best guys in Russia. I believe he's a former M1 champion. Skill for skill, I think he's actually the better fighter than David Onama. But the physical characteristics of Onama... Landwehr's durability, Onama's power, I think is what have people favoring Onama here, but the line is just way too wide in terms of the skill discrepancy, the way Landwehr fights. He's always going to come forward, going to push a pace for 15 minutes, has phenomenal cardio. He's a former D1 track athlete, so he can go for all 15 minutes, maintain a pace, stay in your face, and he's really going to frustrate Onama if Onama cannot finish him in round one. And I think the longer the fight goes, the better it's going to be for Landwehr. So Landwehr sitting around plus 270. I'd have a tough time getting him just looking at the fight, probably above plus 200, maybe even above, above plus 150. The durability is the concern, but skill for skill, I think he's probably the better fighter. Likely has the grappling edge here too. Onama can be taken down. He tends to pop back up, but you can put him on the ground. Seems very durable. So maybe even Landwehr by decision, plus 500 to plus 550 could be even better than his money line. I might poke that in addition to playing his money line. The line is just a bit too disrespectful for a guy who's very well-rounded, fought a ton of good competition, fought better fighters than David Onama. Just the durability is the main concern. But if he survives, this is going to be a very difficult fight. Okay, Billy, with that being said, which fighter are you picking that's going to lose on the first punch? 
potentially. <laughs> yeah, no, I really appreciate Sean's setup on that one because there's there's a lot of lines on this card where it's like, I don't really think the underdog is going to win necessarily, but I think he's got better than a one in three chance or one in four chance or whatever the line is. And, you know, I've, I've made the mistake of checking the YouTube comments on these occasionally, and there's a lot of people who don't really understand that concept. But, you know, if we're getting a guy like Sean saying who could lose on the first punch, if he's plus 300, we only need to get that right one out of every four times. So, you know, there's just a lot of those on here where if there's some kind of point spread type system in MMA where say, hey, this guy puts up a good fight but doesn't necessarily win, there's a lot of those that would be good for that. But um, I'm looking at Charlie Ontiveros, who, you know, as Sean's pointed out with Nate Landwehr, has been stopped twice in the first round of both of his first two UFC fights. Never seen him win in the UFC. But, okay, one of it was second round stoppage. I apologize. His first fight in the UFC was all the way up at middleweight against Kevin Holland, and he's a true lightweight. He's fighting uh, Gabriel Benitez, Mogli, as they call him. And I just can't see Benitez as a minus 350 favorite against really anybody in the UFC at this point. Benitez is one and four over his last five. His only win was against Justin James, who was in like a six-fight losing streak, including his first fight outside of the UFC. So, you know, it's not a super impressive win in retrospect for Mogli. And, you know, like I said, with Anaveros, he fought up two weight classes against Kevin Holland, who's, you know, a ranked guy at the weight class at various points. And then he had a TKO loss to Steve Garcia. But in the round one of that fight, he actually scored two knockdowns on Garcia before getting taken down and then beat on the ground in the second round. Benitez is not a guy who goes for a lot of takedowns. I think he's landed exactly one takedown in his very long UFC career. So this is probably just a stand-up fight. Anaveros is six inches taller, five inches in reach. And, you know, he's fighting guys hasn't really shown us that he's a great fighter. So he was about 290 earlier in the week, and I was really hoping that would hold up this point so you guys could get it too. But you can still find some 280s out there, 275s all over the place. So this is one I would definitely bet quick because I think a lot of the money is coming in on Antiveros when they see Mogli as a minus 350 favorite and don't think that should be the case. Should also mention that Benitez is moving up from 145 to 155 for this fight. So on top of Antiveros competing at middleweight in his debut, being a huge lightweight, Benitez also probably more of a natural featherweight. Sean and Billy's fight of the night, Bruno Silva, Gerald Mearshart, uh, who's more of a freestyle guy. Uh, they are uh, looking at the lines, the money lines uh, for, for both fighters head-to-head here. Silva at minus 285. Mearshart is at plus 240. So there's another uh, underdog in that, that range. Are we, are we, Zarilla, are we taking the cheese on, on Mearshart? Yeah, I like GM3 here. I believe he's the UFC's all-time leader in submission wins at middleweight and going against a guy who has lost five times by submission. I think Silva's a pretty low-level grappler. Got absolutely dominated on the mat for 10 minutes by Andrew Sanchez until Sanchez gassed out and Silva knocked him out. Silva's a huge hitter, low-level grappler. Mearshart, not the best durability and very hittable. So again, another fight that could end on the first exchange. If Mearshart goes down from the first punch, it is what it is. But if this fight gets extended, I expect Mearshart to be able to grapple him, take him down. The one issue is that Mearshart usually doesn't try to grapple until he gets hurt. So he may just get put out and that's it. And he never gets the opportunity to grapple. But if he is proactive about the grappling, I think he could certainly get this fight to the mat. And one thing Silva does consistently wrong is give up his back when he's trying to stand back up after being taken down. Mearshart will absolutely take advantage of that, put the hooks in, lock in the body triangle, and choke him out. So Mearshart on the money line, inside the distance, by submission, I think are all great bets. I could certainly see him winning a decision with control time and Silva not getting submitted as well. 
But I think Mearshart very live to finish this fight if he doesn't get knocked out first. I think he's a tremendous underdog play, consistently underrated in the betting markets. Happy to take some stabs on GM3. Bill, you might not be on him for his money line, but you have do you have a little confidence he can keep this keep this fight alive for, for a few rounds? Yeah, you know, the bet I mentioned before this in our emails was uh, I'm looking at the over one and a half at plus money. It's like plus 104, plus 105, depending on where you look. And it really is just a bet on GM3 keeping this one competitive. It's, you know, like I said before, there's a lot of these lines where I don't necessarily expect the underdog to win, but I think he's going to do a lot better than the betting markets give him credit for. And, you know, Sean mentioned Silva getting dominated on the ground in some of his past fights, but he hasn't been submitted since 2016. He's managed to survive those exchanges and not get tapped out. He doesn't do a lot well when he's on the ground. It's kind of just hanging on for dear life. But if he gets taken down in round one, you know, hangs on for dear life, lands a few good shots from their standing, rinse and repeat, that's a pretty easy way for this one to go over. I don't see Mearshart going super hard to try to tap him out immediately. I expect if he does, it's going to happen late. And then it's really just kind of crossing your fingers and hope that Mearshart can survive that first exchange or two and get it to the ground. So I think he's a far better fighter than his money line odds would indicate, and I might sprinkle a little bit on Mearshart. But I, I really just think he's going to keep this one closer, try to control as much of it as he can on the ground, but not take any risks, you know, to give up position to go for big submissions. Okay, moving right along. Again, UFC Fight Night, Vera Cruz, the main event, which, which we discussed off the top of the show. If you're uh, just, you know, hopping in and you, you just scrolled through, but in all likelihood, you probably heard the beginning of the show. But again, uh, it's the Action Network podcast, UFC betting preview. Uh, they're doing it at the Pachanga Arena. It's just like saying that. Uh, in San Diego, Pachanga. I do some lacrosse work, and there's a lacrosse team that now plays their games there too. So when I saw the Pachanga Arena, I'm like, oh, Pachanga Arena. It's it's a useful little place. Um, <laughs> moving moving on to uh, our favorite props. Okay, very good. So we haven't done uh, done a few uh, discussions about underdogs. How about our favorite props? And sometimes uh, we get very lucky when Zarillo or Billy provide a plus money play, and both have that today. So, Sean, you can go first on a prop play. Ode Osborne, by decision, around plus 220. He's fighting Tyson Nam down at flyweight. Flyweight, one of the lower finishing rates. Both of these guys kind of fight to a style where you would expect a finish. But if this does go to a decision, maybe some Osborne decision-only props. If this does go to a decision, I expect Osborne to have way more volume at the end of the fight. Tyson Nam just never lets his hands go. Big counter puncher, huge right hand. But when he can't land that right hand, he pretty much just seeds volume to his opponents and gets outlanded by fairly significant margins. Osborne, a five inch reach advantage, younger, faster, may have cardio issues down the stretch. That's the one concern. He tends to fall off after about five to seven minutes. But if Nam is never going to let his hands go, he's probably going to fall behind even against a tiring Odie Osborne anyway. So Nam, very old for flyweight, may get finished coming back off of a long layoff. I believe he's 38 or 39, which is not a good look for flyweight. That's about six years above the divisional average in terms of age. And when that speed drops off, these guys drop off precipitously. But Osborne should win the majority of minutes in this fight just with superior volume. So by decision of plus 220, Nam is typically durable. I like that bet. What do you got for us, Billy, in the prop market? Yeah, you know, I'm getting a little speculative on how one of these fighters is going to respond, but I'm looking at the rescheduled match between Priscilla Kashahea and Arian Lipsky. So the backstory on this, they're supposed to fight last week at 125. Lipsky came in at like 128 point something, 
and then wasn't medically cleared to continue with the fight, even though Cachajea was willing to do it. So that tells me she had a pretty big cut just to get to 128, 129. They only pushed it back a week. You know, this was just last week that happened. I'm guessing if she was depleted that much to get down to the 128 range, she walks around a little bit heavier than 135. I don't think a six-pound cut would have done that to anyone. So now we're asking this fighter who couldn't make weight last time and then couldn't even get medically cleared after missing weight by almost three pounds. We're asking her to do it again. I'll be at 135 this week, but I still think that's going to be somewhat of a cut for her. I'm guessing after not being medically cleared last week, they pumped her full of fluid. She got her Pedialyte. She got her Gatorade, possibly even an IV, all that bounced back up a little bit. I don't think that's a good situation to be in if you're a fighter that short thereafter. You know, I'd like to see this fight a month down the line or whatever. And, you know, we talked about Cachea last week. They call her zombie girl. She walks forward, throws a ton of punches, not a lot of interest in defense. But if she's fighting a depleted Arian Lipsky, I think she can put her away. And you're getting plus 500 on that. Her knockout odds, which are by far the more likely way this is going to go, is plus 550. But I'm willing to, you know, spend that little bit of extra juice just to get the club and sub potential covered too. So plus 500 against what's probably an extremely depleted fighter. You know, I really don't like having to make a fighter cut week back cut weight in back-to-back weeks like that, especially when it went so poorly the first time. So for plus 500, I really like Cachoeira inside the distance. Lipsky was dealing with the after effects of COVID. That's why her camp said she probably missed weight. We've seen a number of fighters come back after recent bouts with COVID look absolutely sluggish and awful inside the octagon. Jeff Neal, one of them, looked very bad in his fights against Neil Magny and Wonderboy. Looked phenomenal in his last fight last week. So take some time to bounce back off of getting COVID too. Okay. Before we go to best bets, uh, we do a, a DFS breakdown. Um, like we always do before we, uh, before we go again, sometimes folks can't get involved with the betting stuff because of the, uh, the legalization in States. So, you know, and DFS is widely available. We've got 13 fights on the card uh, on the slate. And we've got four fighters in the 9K range. Sometimes we normally get five, but so that means we have got more in the 8K range and 7K and only one fighter in that sub 7K. Billy, similarities, differences to cash games, GPPs. How are you looking at the, the card here with, with 13 fights to choose from? Yeah, I've been on here complaining about the DFS slates for a few weeks in a row. Gotta say, love this one. You know, Sean and I have both given out some of our underdog plays that we see angles on. That one fighter below 7K, Charlie Ontivero. So we talked about fantastic GPP play. We should be two weight classes bigger than Mogley, only 6,900. You know, I just mentioned Kachahea. She's only 7,500. Um, who else? Mearshart, 7,200. I'm going to get to Jason Witt and our best bets at 7,100. So this one just feels wide open for GPPs. I'm going to mix and match some of those guys in along with, you know, Quinlan at the top, Silva at the top, Onama at 8,600. It just feels like we have more salary than we need for the first time in a long time. But yeah, you know, the one big difference for cash games, you're going to play both Vera and Cruz. Both guys have a ton of volume. There should be a lot of total points scored here. You know, we're not going to worry about where which fighter scores those points. And then there's a lot of fights with long odds to end inside the distance. So you mix and match those guys for GPPs. I think whoever's in the main event, whoever the winner is in the main event, almost certainly makes it into the optimal. It, it just feels like an easy one here. And I understand that, you know, everyone else has the same fighter pool and salaries that I'm seeing too. So they're going to feel that way too. But I really like this one for DFS. And I'm just going to mix and match some of those cheaper fighters that Sean and I have both mentioned. Here to weigh in, Sean, any thoughts, angles? Cachuera, 7,500, Mearshart, 7,200. And then, like Billy said, I'm probably going to set a rule to use either one of the fighters in the main event and all my lineups. Building around those three, I'll mix a match from there. 
Okay. Very good. All right. As we do, uh, we close the show with best bets for UFC fight night. Again, it's uh, going down at Pachanga Arena. Vera Cruz. I promise this last time I'll say it. Um, okay, fellas, uh, what do we got? We'll go to Sean first, then Billy. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's my best bet on the card. Normally, when we get to the best bet section, I have a bet that like really stands out from the rest of the card as my favorite bet. But another bet, I, I talked about Mearshart. Mearshart might be my favorite bet. But one other bet that I really like is the opener on the card, Yusef Salal and Damon Blackshear. Blackshear making his UFC debut. I like this fight to go to a decision. You have to lay some juice around minus 200. I think this line should be closer to minus 300. Neither guy is a particularly big finisher, and both guys are very durable and have good submission defense. So I see a difficult time with one of these guys getting finished, aside from one of them getting injured. Zalal coming down from 145 to 135, probably a more suitable weight class for him. Blackshear, a former 145er himself. So the size parity should be pretty even here between two former featherweights. Said both durable, both have good cardio. Nine career losses for the two, all by decision. So neither one has been finished in their career. The outcome, who wins the fight, it's close to a pick should come down to who is stronger in the grappling exchanges. Maybe Zalal edges it out late because Blackshear is coming in on short notice, but Blackshear fights all the time. He's a guy who stays in camp, should be in good shape. I think this is going to be a close competitive fight. I see it going all 15 minutes. Other than Blackshear's short notice concerns, which I said I don't really have major concerns about, I have a tough time seeing somebody finish here. So Blackshear and Zalal to go to a decision around minus 200. What feels like the theme of the show, uh, not necessarily just underdogs, but the the, the plus money has uh, has been a theme here. And like Billy said before, you know, you you hit one out of every four here. You, you feel good. And Billy, you're going you're going that direction for your best bet. Yeah, and, and sticking with the theme of my last bet, which is one of the rescheduled bouts from last weekend, I, I'm I'm Jason Witt at plus 235. You know, even if this weren't a rescheduled bout and even if there weren't the backstory that I'm going to get to in a second, I think that's probably pretty long on him fighting a 5-0 and fighter who's making his UFC debut. You know, not that Jason Witt is a ranked contender, you know, this top guy or anything. He's been around a while. He knows what he's doing in there, and he's fighting a fairly green prospect. But the real reason I'm on this one, one is the reason this bout got rescheduled is because Quinlan tested positive for like trace amounts of metabolites of a steroid last weekend in Nevada. And California is a little bit looser than Nevada. What that is. We saw this happen with John Jones three or four years ago, where they moved the whole card to California because he had trace amounts of a performance enhancing drug. But what that tells me is, you know, this is a guy who failed his drug test following his contender series win. he was tested during that whole suspension and tested clean. And then the first time he had to do a weight cut, some of those metabolites came into his system. But that tells me that this is probably the first time in his career that he'll be fighting clean or almost clean. And I think, you know, we're building these lines based on a probably enhanced fighter who fought in a lot of smaller areas where they don't do as stringent drug testing as they're going to do in Nevada, California, et cetera. So Nevada said they were cool with it. They weren't going to try to suspend him, you know, outside of Nevada, but they weren't going to let him fight. And my first thought was, you know, maybe he's still going to be enhanced, but I actually think it's the other way. I think he's been trying to be clean this whole time. And basically we're getting a money line on the enhanced version of him. And that's not the one that's going to show up on Saturday. So Jason Witt at, Plus 235 now feels like a value to me. I should mention too, Wit, awful, awful chin. Another guy who could die on the first punch. But this fight is taking place at a catch weight of 180 instead of 170. And he typically has a pretty difficult weight cut. So 
is not having to cut those extra 10 pounds should help him a little bit in terms of durability and his cardio down the stretch where if he's an aggressive wrestler can tend to win. Okay, that's going to do it for our UFC fight night betting preview. Vera v. Cruz. Again, it goes down tomorrow. Main card prelims available on ESPN, ESPN Plus. Uh, not uh, no 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 pay per view, so it is available if you have those uh, that service ESPN. So, okay, for Billy Ward, Sean Zarillo, Brendan Glasheen, uh, you both have a great weekend. And uh, again, we'll join you very soon on the Action Network podcast. A lot coming your way on the pod, of course, with the NFL season and the college football season starting. So uh, it's good to always have the uh, UFC betting uh, previews also uh, continue to make their rounds. So uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Good luck this weekend. Enjoy, and we'll talk to you next week.